0: Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're getting closer to the end of what we have recorded in Scripture about Peter's life. We've been studying Peter's life. We call it the life of Peter from fisherman to follower of Jesus. And we've worked through quite a bit. This is the 18th lesson. I think we've got like four left, something like that. And, uh, we have studied all the way from the time when Jesus, when Peter first met Jesus and Jesus called him to follow and he followed him and did and said a lot of stuff while Jesus was still on the earth. Good stuff, not so good stuff. And, uh, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, Peter became the leader, the first leader of the early church. And we've been studying the last couple of months some things that have happened since then. Um ways in which God used Peter and bring healing and strength. Um, the reaction to that by the religious leaders as they tried to persecute Peter and John and the other disciples and how they responded by saying, we're going to do what God wants us to do, and they continued to minister. They continued to preach the gospel. They continued to teach, and God continued to heal people through them. And because of that, a great persecution rose up, especially under Saul, and then Saul became a Christian. Jesus just got a hold of him. And since he was the driving force behind the persecution, once he became a Christian, the persecution calmed down. Okay? And so now the church is in a time of peace. Uh, it's growing. The gospel is proliferating. There's still some pushback, but it's not near as bad as it was. And you would think, we can breathe now. Everything is good, everything's on track, and it is, it's good, it's on track, and Peter starts traveling, our last lesson last week, we saw that he says, now's a good time to leave Jerusalem, so he's traveling around through the countryside, he's going further and further, and going to different places, and preaching the gospel, and people are being saved, and people are being healed, we see this guy by the name of Aeneas, who's been paralyzed, God heals him, and through that miracle, saves almost everybody in the town, and then um, Tabitha, who's also known as Dorcas, Same name, just two different languages, dies. Great Christian woman. The people call for Peter. He travels 10 miles and God raises her from the dead. Same thing happens. Almost the whole town gets saved because of what God's doing. It'd be very, very easy for Peter to say, man, we got it made now, you know, and to think, well, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But God's got a bigger plan in mind. Something that Peter hasn't even thought about. Something that Peter wouldn't even imagine. Imagine. And I mention it that way because, you know, sometimes we get along in our lives and we feel like, well, I'm on track, and we may be on track, nothing wrong with that, and things are going good, and we see some good things that have happened, and let's just consider, let's just keep on going, and we're not thinking maybe along the same lines that God is. And we need to be open to what God wants to do because He may want to do something totally outside our comfort zone, totally different than what we may be dreaming about or thinking about, but we won't even know about it unless we're open to God speaking to us about it, and that's what our lesson is about tonight. The title of our lesson is um, Two Visions and a Mission." Two visions and a mission. Um, we're going to be looking at the first part of Acts chapter ten. Two different people have two different visions that are connected together, and it gives rise to this mission that God wants Peter to go on. To introduce that idea, though, we are probably, if we've known the Lord for any amount of time. Um, we're familiar with the idea that God has a plan for our life and that God wants to use us. And if you're sitting here saying, well, I never heard that before. You've not been listening because I talk about that all the time. No, I know you've heard it. God has a plan for us and he wants to use us. How, though, does God reveal his plan to us? How have you experienced that? Or how would you anticipate that God would reveal his plan to us? John? Through his word. Through his word. And that is really good for generalities. Because you're not going to see in God's word go down to Winn-Dixie on Thursday morning at 10 o'clock and there's going to be a person walking out the door, you know, that you're going to minister to, right? But in generalities, we know what God's plan is. He wants to use us to touch our families. He wants to use us to touch um, the lost wherever we go. He wants to use us to encourage and build one another up. So we got great instruction in God's word about his plan. Felix. Through prayers. Through prayers. As we are praying, then ha- what happens? You said through prayers. How does praying reveal God's plan to us? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. As you're praying, it's not just you saying things, but God wants to say things back to you. You know, we often think of prayer as we're talking to God. We're talking to God. We're talking to God, and that's part of prayer, but it's also God talking to us, and we're listening. So through prayers, your answer was exactly right, Felix. Through prayer and that time with God, and we're listening. We're not just talking, we're listening. Vita. Vida. Through meditation, yeah. You know, and the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us, which is a lot more subjective thing, right? We'll talk a little bit more about how can we know for sure it's God that's talking and not last night's pizza or something like that, you know. Um, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. So anyway, God's ready to take the next step in his plan. But there's nobody, as far as we know, alive at this point in church history that is getting what God's next step in his plan is. Uh, We talked about this a little bit last lesson, last week. At the very beginning of Acts, in chapter 1, Jesus hasn't ascended to heaven yet, but he's talking to his disciples. He says, I want you to go out there. I want you to take the gospel to the world. He says, but wait in Jerusalem until God's promise, the Father's promise, which is the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. And in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem that city, in Judea, which is the area around it, in Samaria, which is where their enemies live, (laughs) and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we've studied so far, there's been a great witness and revival and people coming to know Jesus in Jerusalem. And we've already seen where God's been saving people out in Judea as other people have gone out. And Peter's even gone out preaching around in Judea, which is kind of like that countryside there. And then we saw in Acts chapter eight, I think it is Acts chapter eight, that after the persecution, people went everywhere, and uh, one of the deacons went to Samaria, began to preach the gospel. People in Samaria got saved, and Peter and John went to check it out because these are people they don't get along with, and they can't believe that God's going to really save them too. But they found out He did. He prayed for them, they received the Holy Spirit, and so now it's time to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, but they're not so much focused on that. And even if they think about it, they've got a different idea than God does. Because I'll tell you how they're thinking about it. If they're thinking about, we got to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, that's because there are Jewish people all over the world. And we got to take the gospel to the Jewish people. Now, we look at it and say, how could they be so narrow-minded? But that's the way it was. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said, take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. He meant take it to the Jewish people, but take it to the Gentiles too. That's the next step. Nobody's thinking about that. So just like I think that God allowed the great persecution to arise to get people out of Jerusalem and start taking the gospel to other places, God's going to intervene again to make it very, very clear that it's not just to the Jewish people that you need to take the gospel. You got to take it to everybody. Okay, Now, why would they not think that they need to take the gospel to the Gentiles? Why would they think that, yeah, we've got to take the gospel to the world, but only to the Jewish people in the world? Anybody have any idea? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Jesus did talking about taking the gospel to the nations, but again, they would think to all the Jews, because there's Jews living in all the nations. Why would they be so focused just on their own racial religious background rather than being open to taking the gospel to the Gentiles. I know it may be a little bit of a trivia question because it requires a little bit of Bible uh, knowledge, but why, Tim? Okay. They thought they were very special to God, and is that true? Were the Jewish people special to God? Yes. And they thought they were special to God because they had a special covenant relationship with God. Is that true? Yes. But... They missed the part that God wanted everybody to experience that. You know, even in the Old Testament, God told his people that one of the reasons he chose them, it wasn't because they were so wonderful. God chose Abraham when he was an idol (laughs) worshiping. Ethan, you know, often er, you know, and, but God chose him because he wanted to have a special relationship with him and then his family and then the nation that would come from his family so that as they had that special relationship and they obeyed him and he blessed them, the other nations would look at that and say, we want what they've got, but they blew it. So many times in the Old Testament because they'd go worship other gods or idols and God would have to discipline them and all that kind of stuff. So the nations never got that unblemished, clear vision of what this God was really like. It did a little bit, okay? And by the time Jesus showed up, the Jews had gone into exile. God had sent them into exile and then he brought them back home again. And instead of starting over and trying to be a light to the world, they insulated themselves, like sometimes we have a tendency to want to do as Christians. Well, we're going to block the rest of the world out. God delivered us. We are God's special people. We do have that covenant, as Tim was talking about. And everybody else that's out there, they're not special to God. In fact, they would let people that were outside the Jewish race become part of them, but they had to become exactly like them. Okay, There was a big, long process you had to go through to be considered a part of their group. First of all, all the guys, if they wanted to, they had to be circumcised. That was a big barrier for some guys. All right? But they had to go through a whole special learning process. They had to go through a whole special procedure. They had to offer certain sacrifices. They had to... There's a big bunch of steps that they had to go through, and a number of people did, and they were called proselytes. But if you weren't willing to go through that, you are unclean, you're sinners, we don't want anything to do with you. And so there's this big gap between the Jewish people and Gentiles, from the Jewish people's side, they had the absolute minimal amount of contact with Gentiles, and they were considered unclean, you did not eat with them because they ate unclean things, Um, you did not associate with them except for what you actually had to do if you had to do business, you just didn't relate to them at all. They basically thought that God didn't care about them, and so why should they? And so if you really want to come down to it, they were very prejudiced, okay, so, this speaks even to us today about do we have prejudices in our lives that keep us from reaching out to certain people, whether it's a racial thing, an ethnic thing, a social status thing? Who are the people that we don't want to reach out to for whatever reason, you know? But in this day and age, it was the Gentiles. It's interesting that even though they'd been saved and they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, it didn't remove their prejudices. Why? Because they were still people, and God was still at work at them. The good news is that it is going to, they are going to change, and this is the first step. So that's, that's kind of a lot of background, but that's the background to our story tonight, okay? So where we left Peter, uh, last lesson, he had left Jerusalem, he's traveling around Judea, he's getting farther and farther away from Jerusalem, he goes to, um, the one place where God heals Aeneas, then he goes another 10 miles to Joppa, which is on the coast, um, where Dorcas is raised alive, life and he stays there. And it seems to indicate he's staying there so he can teach the new believers and help them grow and be disciples. And that's where we pick up this story in Acts chapter 10. And we got three sections here. It's titled two visions and a mission. So we're going to look at Cornelius's vision, Peter's vision, and then Peter's mission. All right. So Cornelius, Cornelius's vision is in Acts chapter 10 verses one to eight. Um, and so let's read that and then we'll jump into the story and explain it and see how it applies to us. So Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, So Joppa is where Peter is, Cornelius is in Caesarea, it's 31 miles north of Joppa on the coast, Caesarea is actually the Roman capital of Israel. Now the Jewish capital is Jerusalem, that's where their temple is, that's where they're focused, all right? But when the Romans captured the nation, they established their capital at Caesarea. That's actually where Pontius Pilate lived most of the time. He only went to Jerusalem when he had to. And he happened to be in Jerusalem during Passover when Jesus was crucified. Okay. And so Cornelius is a soldier. He's a centurion. That means he is a Roman soldier who's in leadership, like a modern day captain in the army. He's over about a hundred men. That's where the title comes from. He's over a century of men. And that's a hundred. All right. And, um, so anyway, this centurion, and it's interesting that centurions are, are, are portrayed by Luke in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts as good people. Uh, there's a reason for why he's pointing out these good people that are centurions, because one of the reasons Luke is writing his Gospel in Acts is to let the Roman uh, Empire know, listen, Christianity isn't a threat to you. <laughs> in fact, some of your own people accepted it, all right? But the centurion um, has basically accepted the Israelite, the Jewish god, and that happened from time to time. There were people in that culture that got sick and tired of all the immorality and craziness of all the gods and goddesses of the Romans and the Greeks, and they were very much drawn to the Jewish system of an ethical belief system where you did what was right, um, you, know, you cared about people, and you believed in this one God who cared about people, too. But as I said, many of them did not want to become proselytes. They didn't want to go through the whole procedure to become, quote, Jewish. So they were called God-fearers because they had a respect and an awe for the Jewish God, and they tried to do good things, and they tried to live right, but they didn't go through the whole process. So they never really took that final step, all right? And Cornelius is one of those. We see he's involved in many good things. He gives alms. That means he's helping the needy. It says he prays continually, regularly, and it says one day, about the ninth hour of the day, which is three o'clock in the afternoon because they count it from six in the morning, he's praying. And that's just like the Jews did. That's, there's three times during the day the Jewish people would pray. Three o'clock in the afternoon is when the evening sacrifice would be offered at the temple in Jerusalem, and good, righteous Jews every day would stop at three o'clock to pray. And so Cornelius is praying, and God sends an angel to him, and it scares him to death, which happens most all the time when you see angels show up in Scripture. Okay? People are scared to death. And um, he says, Cornelius, and he says, what is it? He says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. The words that are used there are the words that would be used of a sacrifice that was offered to God and was pleasing to God, and this the smoke from the sacrifice would rise up and God would, would recognize it and be very pleased. And so he says, listen, you know, basically saying you're not a full-blown Jew, you know, you're not offering a sacrifice, but you're giving to people's needs. And your prayer is like a very sweet-smelling sacrifice in God's sight. And God has recognized that. And God has another step for you to take. He's got something good for you. He's got something better for you. And so he says, send down to Joppa, 30-something miles away, and look for this guy named Peter. He's staying with a tanner by the sea. Okay. And so he calls in one of his soldiers and two of his servants, and it says that they're also devout, so it could be that they were god fears too. In fact, we're going to see as we look at the story today and then next week too, because we're going to be in this story for a couple of weeks, That when Peter shows up, his whole household is gathered together. All his servants, some of his soldiers. It seems like Cornelius has not only tried to serve God himself, but he's had a tremendous impact on his family and the people that are around him. Okay, But he's not yet a Christian. And God says, I want this guy to meet Jesus. So he tells him to go send for Peter. And as we're going to see next week when Peter shows up, there's a great crowd that's gathered. So... There's a couple of truths that we can apply from this part of the story, from Cornelius' vision. Um, You say, well, look at this story. How does that apply to our life? Well, let me give you some principles that I've drawn from this that can be an encouragement truth to us or something to help us know how to apply it. Letter A I have here is passion for God is always rewarded. Passion for God is always rewarded. It's obvious Cornelius is passionate about God. He wants to know this Jewish God. He knows about Jesus. We'll see that next week because Peter says, you've probably heard all about this Jesus and what he did and blah, 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 blah. But let me tell you who he really was, who he really is. But he doesn't know Jesus is his Savior, but he's got a passion for God. And God always rewards passion for him. And that's true for those of us that are believers too. Anytime we have a passion for Jesus, anytime we have a passion for God, and we pursue that, God rewards it, Okay. Yes, zealous is a good word to use for him. Somebody who is zealous or full of zeal is someone who's passionate. Yeah. Yep. He was very zealous. Okay. Here's the truth. I don't know if you thought God wants you to know him more than you want to know him. You know, if we'll just seek him, that's why he says over and over in his word, if you will seek me, you'll find me. Just seek me with all your heart. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we get so busy with our lives that we miss out because we're not as passionate as we could be, you know, and or we can just get satisfied with just enough anyway. So anyway, that causes us to think or should cause us to think how passionate are we to get to know God better and how do we manifest that? I mean, if. If you were to say, I'm really passionate to know God, if that's really true, what should that look like in your life? You get into his word, yeah. What else? Okay, you let it, his word and his is his his, his uh, ethics have an influence in your life. Okay, you get into you pray, you know, like Cornelius is doing here. All right, okay. Um, from New Testament scripture, you say, you know, you spend time with his people to build relationships and encourage and strengthen one another, and be strengthened. You know, there's a certain amount we can do all by ourselves, just me and Jesus, but we also need each other to get the full. Everything that God has for us. So passion for God is always rewarded. Letter B, God will send truth to those who seek truth. God will send truth to those who seek truth. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a principle I see in Scripture that people that are looking for the truth, that are seeking after God, God reveals himself to them and he'll help them to get more truth. But the opposite is true too. When people try to shut down the truth they get less truth. I heard a preacher one time, he calls this the dimmer switch principle. Okay? You know, it's like truth is on a dimmer switch. And and the more you seek after it, the more it brightens up. The more light you look for, the more light you get. But the more you reject light, the less light you have. In fact, Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1 that that's one of the things that led to our world being so evil. Is that after the fall of man and sin entered in, people began to push God away and reject God and instead, to serve themselves and to serve nature and to make gods in their own image, and it's, there's this spiral downward. It's like they have less and less and less truth. And I know there's a really big question we're not going to dig into tonight because it's not the point of this lesson, but if Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way to have eternal life, what about the people that haven't heard about him? And there's a lot of different approaches to take to that, but this is one of the main truths that I take great comfort in. And that is that for people who honestly seek God, God will reveal himself to them. Somehow, some way. I've heard so many stories of, of missionaries reporting that they went someplace where the gospel had never been preached and somebody testified, well, we knew there was a God out there. You know, Paul even talks in Romans about how God is, uh, is knowable to a degree through creation. Okay? And how tribes or whatever people from remote places said, we knew there was a God out there and we began to seek him. And now God sent you. I'm talking about the missionary, you know, that doesn't answer every question, but yet it is a principle that when people seek truth, God will give them more truth. But the same thing is true for us as believers. We know Jesus, but the more we seek the truth, the more understanding of the truth God will give us. So now let me ask you this question. God sent an angel to Cornelius because he was seeking truth. He wanted to give him more truth. Why did he tell him to go get Peter? Why didn't he just have the angel tell him the truth? Why didn't the angel just say, hey, listen, you need to believe in Jesus, and here's how it goes. Any ideas? What? Okay, God wanted to use somebody in the flesh. He wanted to use a human being. That's at the root of what it is. You know, it's interesting. I think there's only, and and if I get this wrong, that's okay. But I've studied this. I think there's only one place in the Bible it talks about an angel bringing the gospel. And it's in the book of Revelation where it says there's an angel going through the sky and saying something about the gospel. But other than that, God uses his angel and the name or the word angel literally means messenger. So the angels are God's messenger. They're always causing bringing God's message, but they never bring the gospel to anybody. And it's because God always uses people to bring the gospel. That's what I have on your note sheet letter three. God uses people to do his most important work. You know, if you're familiar with the story of Acts, Another guy in Acts, uh, we mentioned him in passing. Philip, he was one of the original deacons, and um, he took the gospel to Samaria and that kind of stuff. But um, it says an angel showed up, told him to go to a certain place to share the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch. You know, and you know, I hear I hear stories from time to time about how God is doing that today in the Muslim world, where Muslims that are open to the truth are having dreams about Jesus, but also having visitations from angels who are telling them to pursue Jesus. But they don't share the gospel with them themselves. God always uses people. And so we've got to keep that in mind, that taking the gospel to those around us and those that God sends us to is very, very important. You know, are we willing to be used that way? So anyway, the angel tells him to go find Peter and have him come back, and so he sends off one of his soldiers, who's also a person devoted to God, and two of his servants, all right? Gets us to the second one, number two, Peter's vision. Go from verses 9 to 16 of Acts chapter 10. The next day, as they were on their journey, so this is 30 miles, they've traveled most of the previous day, maybe even part of the night Okay, to go 30 miles. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Joppa, where Peter is, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. This is noontime. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So Peter has a vision. Peter's uh, in Joppa at the house of the tanner. He decides to pray at noon, which is not one of the normal times for the Jewish people to pray, but it just indicates he's a man of prayer. He's praying at a time they don't all normally pray. And apparently he's waiting for lunch to be fixed. He's a guest, so he goes up on the roof. That sounds funny, but you've probably heard me talk about the fact that back then in their culture the roofs were flat. It was another living space. They would often put a, a, a an overhang there, you know, so they could rest up there um, with the breezes and stuff. And and um, so it was a good place to get away from people. Uh, a lot of times there are outside staircases to go up. And so he goes up on the roof to pray, and he got hungry. And while this happened, he fell into a trance. Now, sometimes he's being hypnotized or something like that. You know, just some kind of supernatural experience. In fact, later on in the chapter in verse 17, it calls it a vision. So very, very similar to what Cornelius is experiencing. And um, this vision is this great big piece of cloth Being let down all these animals. It's almost like a description of Genesis of all these different types of animals. Birds and creeping things and, and reptiles and all that kind of stuff. And, and God basically says, you're hungry, Peter? There you go. Kill it and eat. And Peter says, no way, Lord. You know, that's the second time Peter's told the Lord, no, no, Lord. Remember we talked about that earlier, um, when he's held the, that Jesus, which is really a contradiction. Why did Peter say this? Why was Peter unwilling to do what God said? He was hungry. Why didn't he just partake if God provided? Chris? It wasn't kosher. Yeah, that's right. The word kosher is not in the Bible. But what does kosher mean? Anybody know what kosher means? Without blood. That includes food without blood. Kosher basically describes... Food that's okay for the Jewish people to eat. In the Old Testament, God had given a bunch of laws about what you could and could not eat. There's a lot of reasons for it. Some are health issues. The biggest main thought behind it is that there's a number of ways that God wanted his people to be different from the people around them, to differentiate them and that kind of thing. And what they ate and did not eat was some of that reason. Okay, And so in that sheet was a bunch of animals that God in the Old Testament says You can't eat these things. And Peter says, no, Lord, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything that was against your law. That's what he means when he says, I've never eaten anything common or... Arnold, just, 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 just a second, Felix, okay? He says, no, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. They were considered unclean. Yes, Felix? Arnold, was what? Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. Arnold who? Oh, Arnold the pig? <laughs> okay, maybe, okay. But pigs or pork was one of the things that was considered unclean. You did not eat that. And all of you like seafood, all that was unclean. Okay, you can eat fish, but not seafood. But anyway, so Peter says, no, Lord, I won't do that, okay? Um, now, keep in mind, this wasn't just, I can't do this because it's a regulation. Because that's the way their culture was built, to actually eat something like that would be like, ew, I, I don't want that. I mean, have you ever had somebody from a different culture describe a food from their culture? It's like, how can you eat that? I've had that happen. (laughs) I love you guys' Caribbean food. And I've had goat's head soup once, and once was more than enough. But just hearing about it, it's like, I I only tried it so I could try it and say I tried it, and somebody wanted me to try it, so I tried it. So don't anybody bring me any because I've already tried it. But yeah, there's other things, you know, that's like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, very, very similar there. You know, the religious leaders totally missed Jesus because they were so stuck in their understanding or misunderstanding of what God had said. You know, but but this is part of the law. And you know, we talked about this a little bit, or no, I talked about this in a sermon. I think I get confused sometimes between the Wednesday nights and Sundays because I'm preaching and teaching how Jesus always obeyed God's law, and he said that we that his people need to obey God's law. But also keep in mind that he came to fulfill the law. And the parts of the law that he fulfilled were no longer binding anymore upon the Jewish people. And some parts of the law were only bound on the, binding on the Jewish people, but not everybody else, you know. And so you gotta learn how to differentiate between those things. And Jesus himself, I have on your note sheet there, Mark chapter 7 verses 15 to 23. You can read that later. But Jesus, while he was here on the earth, talked about this whole thing of eating food and stuff like that and that that was something God had put in place. But that it isn't the food that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart. And the gospel writers basically interpreted that that's when Jesus basically said, okay, food issues are no longer issues anymore. That's been fulfilled. Okay. And Peter was there. Apparently he didn't apply it that way or didn't even think about it along those lines. But, you know, he's like, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything against your law. And besides, it's like, yeah. And God says, if I set it clean, if I've said it's clean, it's clean. Okay. And obviously, God's trying to make a point, and Peter has no idea what the point is. We're going to see in a little bit in in the next section. It's like he's thinking about it. It's like he's confused. But it's interesting that God gives him this vision three times. Why do you think God gave Peter this vision three times? What? He didn't get it the first two times? It's almost like three is Peter's lucky number, right? I mean, I can't help, but it's just God's sense of humor. Peter denied Jesus three times. So when Jesus restores him, he asks him three times if he loves him. And so now he sees his vision three times. Yevita. That's a good point. That's why it's so important that when somebody becomes a believer that they go through... Well, actually, it's something we go through for the rest of our lives. Discipleship, learning more and more and more about God's word and and his truth and have a good understanding of it. Okay, so just note here that, you know, even as mature of a believer as Peter is now, which they're still in the early days of the church. He's the church leader. He's still got room to grow and he still doesn't totally get it. But the good news is God is patient with him. You know, God's not rebuking him in the sense of, oh, Peter, you're such a terrible person. It's like, you're not getting this, Peter. I said it's clean, it's clean. Okay? And, 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 and Peter, I think, gets the idea that, okay, this is just a vision. I can't literally kill and eat. So what's God trying to say? But God's preparing him, his heart, for this next step that we're talking about, okay? Now, before we go on to the last part, Peter's mission, let's look at some truths from this part that we can apply, okay? Letter A, it's easiest to hear from God when we are in communication with God. Now, that point actually applies to Cornelius too, but I wanted to leave it here because Peter and Cornelius are having the same thing. When is it that they're hearing from God when they're praying, okay? When is it that Cornelius has the angel show up when he's praying, you know, it always amazes me when i talk to somebody. It's like, you know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what God wants me to do. This, that, and I ask them, well, have you prayed about it? Have you read God's word? Have you researched what's God's word? Well, no, no. I've just been talking to my friends. It's like, talk to God, you know. Do a Bible study on it, you know, whatever the issue is. If it's a relationship or something with your spouse or your finances or whatever. Look at what God's word has to say about it. Pray about it. Do what Vita said. Meditate on it and say, God, speak to me. Rather than just stewing, you know, over it and talking to everybody but God about it. Not that you can't talk to other people, but I mean, God and his word should be the first thing. So it's easiest to hear from God when we are in communication with God. And Cornelius and Peter both were. And that's when God spoke to them. And so that leads automatically against the number B there. A regular habit of prayer is very important. I don't know about you, but it's easy to fall into a pattern of when you got an emergency, it's easy to pray. But in between, well, I'm kind of coasting pretty good, you know. And sometimes people get into a lifestyle. The only time they talk to God is when there's an emergency. Okay? Or just the formal things like, um, Lord, bless this food, you know, or now I lay me down to sleep, or, you know, but that that... Regular communication, that time of prayer with God is so really important. Um, that's where we're gonna hear God's voice, okay? And how closely are we listening? And then um let us see there, when God speaks, we should always be open to change. Peter doesn't get it just yet, he's gonna get it here in a minute, but God's speaking to him because he wants him to change. He wants to change the way he's thinking, and because he's going to change the way he's thinking, it's going to change the way he acts because God wants him to do something that he never would have considered before, and that's take the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay? And, you know, I don't care how well you know God's word, and I don't care how well I know God's word. I think I know it pretty good because I've been studying it a long time, and it's kind of my occupation. There's still stuff I've got to learn, and I've got to be open. Now, I don't mean to open to any idea that's out there. Okay, God's truth always corresponds to his word and he doesn't contradict his word, and he doesn't change his mind. He's always right. He doesn't have to change his mind. Yeah, Felix. Prayer. A regular habit of prayer. Prayer is what goes in that blank there. Yeah. hmm. So when God speaks we should always be open to change. You know, if we get to the point where we think we've got it all and we know it all, we're in trouble. You know, but neither do we have to go around saying, well, I can't ever do anything right and I don't know anything. We're always in a, we're, we're in a process of growing and learning. Okay. It goes back to what Vita said about how, why discipleship is so important for new converts, but why discipleship is important for all of us to keep growing and learning. So how do we know when it's God speaking? How do we know when it's God speaking? We said when God speaks, we should always be open to change. How do we know it's God speaking? As I said earlier, and it's not just the pizza we had too late last night. How do we know? Yes, Gene. God's Holy Spirit can prompt us. You know, Jesus said something about, you know, my sheep know my voice. The longer we've known the Lord, the more we'll recognize his voice. So the prompting of the Holy Spirit can confirm. And if we're really open to God, he can, he can steer us. And as I said earlier, God never contradicts himself. You know, if you feel like God's telling you something that the word of God says something totally different, I don't think it's God talking there. You know? He's telling you to go out there and be unfaithful to your spouse or cheat on your taxes or tell a lie to get ahead. I don't think that's God speaking. Tim. Yeah, God's working on both sides of it, right? God's working on the person he's going to send. He's working on the person who's going to receive. And you jumped all the way to the end of my last point, which we'll get there in a few minutes, okay? All right, let's go on to the third part here. We looked at Cornelius' vision and Peter's vision. Now we have Peter's mission. And um, this is just the introduction to it. Next week, we're going to actually see him go on the trip, get to Cornelius' house and what happens there. But Acts chapter 10, verses 17 to 23. So Peter's just had this vision, God speaking to him three times, that if he says something's clean, it's clean, all right? Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. So he doesn't get it yet, but he's thinking about it, all right? The men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, again, he's thinking about, it's like, Lord, what, what were you trying to tell me? While Peter was pondering the vision, we can use Vita's word there, he was meditating on the vision, okay? The spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. "'Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them.' And Peter went down to the men and said, "'I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming?' And they said, "'Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house, to hear what you have to say.' So he invited them in to be his guests.' And the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And we're going to stop there for tonight. We'll pick up the story up again next week. So Peter has this vision. Now, he's like, God, what does this mean? He's perplexed. He's contemplating. He's meditating. And these people called, hey, is Peter staying here? And the spirit says, these are the guys. You're supposed to go with them. And he invites them in. That's the first step. These guys are Gentiles. For him to invite them in, a good Jew could possibly do that because he knows he's going to have the right food to eat. He's not going to be asked. But then the next day he leaves to go with them. That's a big step. He's going with them to Cornelius' house. He doesn't know he's going to face there. Okay, he's going to be doing... Uh, uh, How's that Star Trek thing? He's going to go where no man has ever gone before. He's going to go where no Jew ever wants to go before, (laughs) you know, into a Gentile's home and may have to eat there and all this stuff that according to Jewish tradition you did not do and even Jewish Christians up to this point, you don't do that. But God, now he's starting to get the picture. That's God. That's what that vision meant. You're saying it's okay. Okay. In fact, we're going to see next week when he talks to Cornelius, he says, the only reason, in fact, it's kind of funny. He said, the only reason I'm here is because God told me it's okay. (laughs) All right. Normally I wouldn't be here. This isn't the way we Jews act. That's a paraphrase. But God told me to come. God told me it's okay. And we're going to see next week what God does. Yeah, Vita. He was always what? Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. You know, one quick question. We can't take a lot of time with this, but why did God choose Peter instead of Paul for this? You know, if you read through the New Testament, you know a little bit more about the story of the early church. Um, God sends Peter to Cornelius and a great thing happens. We'll look at that next week. But, um, even Paul says that primarily God called Peter to be someone to preach the gospel to the Jewish people and God called Paul to be one to primarily preach the gospel to the Gentile world and other people along with them, but that was kind of how it worked out. And so, some people say, "Well, why did God send Peter instead of Paul?" And um, I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, number one, you know, when Paul goes to the Gentiles and he goes back to report back, he has a hard time convincing them that what he's done is okay. So, I think and a lot of Bible scholars believe that the reason God sent Peter is because he's one of the original twelve; he's the leader. And if God told him to do it, that gives even more weight to the fact that, okay, this is something we're supposed to do. In fact, we're going to see in a couple of weeks, you know, next we're going to see what God did. Then the following lesson, we're going to see where he goes back to Jerusalem saying, what in the world did you do? (laughs) Why did you do that? Why did you go to those Gentiles? How in the world could you do that? And God's going to use that to start waking up the people in the Jerusalem church. This is what God wants done. It's still going to take a while. There's still kind of discussing it and kind of not battling over it, but wrestling with it for a while until we get to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, which may be even a couple of years later. And then it's going to be settled. But it takes a while for the Jewish Christians to get over their cultural prejudice. But this is the first step. So he uses Peter to do that. But you may remember back in Matthew 16... Verses 15 and 19, it's on your note sheet, but again, you can read it later. When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? The disciples reply, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. God told you that. And Peter, upon you're the rock, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And that's the big thing. What does the keys of the kingdom mean? And basically what it means is that God's going to use Peter to open the door, open the wide the gate of the kingdom, To the world. And we see he does it for the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost. He does it for the people in Samaria when him and John go up there to check out the revival and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet and they pray for him. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit and now he's going to use it to open the door to the Gentiles. Even though Paul's going to be one of the primary ones to take the gospel to the Gentiles, he uses Peter to start the process. Okay. So anyway, uh, a little note here. I don't know if you noticed. It says that when he went, he took um, some of the brothers from Joppa with him. These are some of the Christians, the Jewish Christians. And later in the story, we'll see next week, there's six of them. Any idea why he took six guys, six good Jewish Christians with him? Any thoughts on why he might have taken six good Jewish Christians with him? I know it's a little bit of a tricky question. Most people believe it's because so he could have witnesses as to what happened, (laughs) okay? And that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to see what God is doing, how these people get saved, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he goes back to Jerusalem, Peter can say, hey, it wasn't me by myself. I had these guys with me. They saw what God did. And if God did that for them, who are we to say that God shouldn't do that for them, okay? So a couple of truths, because it's time for us to wrap this up from this passage here. Letter A, when we don't understand what God is saying, we should seek clarity. Okay? You know, I referred to it when we went through. It says Peter was inwardly perplexed about this vision. He was pondering the vision, verses 17 and 19. He didn't fully understand it, until even the next day when he gets to Cornelius' house or a couple days later and it's all played out. It's like, now I understand it. There's so many times that, you know, we may be approaching God's word either in our own private devotions or we're in a Bible study or a sermon, something, because I don't totally understand that, okay? Number one, don't let it bother you and it's like oh, I'll never understand. No, God can help you. But don't you say, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, if you don't understand something, seek it out. Pray about it. Talk to other people that may understand it better than you do. Study your Bible. Um, meditate on it. That's what Peter's doing here, okay? All right. And that's true not just of God's word, but what's going on in your life. It's like, God, I don't understand what's going on. All right? Seek clarity. God will give you understanding for the things you need to understand. Letter B, prayer should always be followed by action. We see this is true of Cornelius. He was praying. God spoke to him. He did what God told him to do. Peter was praying. God spoke to him. He didn't even have a full clear picture of what God was saying. But when God said, do it, he did it. He said, these guys, you're supposed to go with them. So he did the very, very next day. And that's a question we can ask ourselves. Are we eager to do what God tells us to do? Especially if it's an area that we don't want to do or it's outside our comfort zone. Let me give you the last two real quick because we're past time. Letter C. Oh, once God's will is clear, we should be quick to obey. Notice that this is something Peter is not comfortable with, but when God said to do it, boom, he's there. He's going to do it. May God help us to be that quick to obey and be willing to overcome any prejudices or attitudes or habits or something that's holding us back from what God has for us. And the last one I told you, told you Tim got ahead of me there. Uh, letter D, God is always at work on both sides of a situation. You know, God's working in Cornelius, but he's preparing Peter for it. God's working in Peter, but he's got Cornelius all prepared. So he's going to bring it all together. And the way that applies to our lives is that sometimes we get into situations like, God, what are you doing? How are you going to work this out? Just know that God's already been working. You don't see it, but he's already been working on the solution. He's already been working on the answer. He's already been working on the provision. He'll bring it all together. Just keep walking with him and be obedient. So we got to wrap this up. This 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 story has so much for us. The importance of maintaining our relationship with God Uh, spending time with him, listening to him, obeying him, being open to what he says, being willing to change, willing to be used even in situations we're not comfortable. And uh, may God help us to apply that to our lives. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to look at your word once again and help us to learn from Peter's example. God, help us to develop our relationship with you. Help us to grow in our understanding of your word and, Lord, of how it applies to our lives and how it applies to what you want to do in and through our lives uh, with others. Help us to always be willing to grow and to change when it requires that, even if it's uncomfortable, and help us always to be willing to be used by you in situations, Lord God, where we maybe wouldn't have chosen that for ourselves. And, Father, I thank that as we do, you will do great things. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.